Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Scotty, time is a flat circle. The Orioles' future is their past, and so we're going to spend this podcast in 2011. Oh, I thought we were going to stay with our mothers. <laughs> That's right, my friends. It is back to the past, back to the future, whatever it is. We're going to podcast like it's 2011. And so, Scotty, we're going to need to adjust our content to discuss this team. That's right. We're going to throw it way back to the kind of fans we were back in 2011. So, Scotty, I'm going to start with this. Do you think it'll be next year? Do you think next year will be the year that we finally get back to 500? It feels like we're so close with a a deep farm system and the Cavalier right behind us. Um, How unfair is it, though, to have to play in a division with two monster heavyweights once again? Oh, I agree. But here's the thing. Can we blame Peter Angelos for every social ill that has ever been? Yeah, maybe we need to stage a walkout. And and which prospects down on the farm can we overvalue any vain hope that they will come up charging into the majors to save us? Will it be Austin Hayes? Will it be Seldrick Mullins? Will it be Austin Wynn? Can any of them pitch? Yeah, I don't think so. All right, which marginally talented players can we trade away for prospects that we'll just end up ruining anyway? I feel like Dylan Mundy could be this person. I think so, too. And which has been are you uh, which has been are you hoping will sign to Philly roster spot while the team treads water? Oh, this is easy, and I was going for it in the offseason. They didn't do it. Ichiro Suzuki. Ichiro Suzuki we're gonna, perfect We're going to be paying him till he's like 50. Yes. Also, Chris Davis will so, be playing. So, so two years. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be paying Davis until he's 52. And if all our guys are cheating, why aren't they winning more games? Mm, it's a good question. It's a good question. But here's the most important 2011 sure. Orioles question there is. Scott, it is now late April. Yes. So I ask you this. When is Ravens training camp start? More importantly, it's Ravens draft week. So we should be talking about the, what players the or, the Ravens may be drafting this week in anticipation for them filling their needed wide receiver gap. Well, Orioles fans, fill your Mr. Fusion. Make sure you hit 88 and come with us back to the future. This is Bird's Eye View. So today is April 23rd, 2018. This is episode 234. My name is Scott Magnus. And I'm Jake English. And on this week's show, we'll go around the bases to discuss the return of the Dark Ages. We'll also delve through the various falsehoods that have been taking place here in Birdland and reveal a little truth. Or truth. And we'll do that all after we lubricate for the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you imbibing on? This evening, uh, I am working my way through a rum and coke with uh, just some some clear Bacardi and some uh, store brand cola. Oh boy, what a drink! <laughs> uh, I am drinking uh, house margarita, um, triple sec tequila. <laughs> the, the ST Studios house margarita. Yeah, tears. We, <laughs> we need to come up with a branded line of sadness drinks. We kind of had that in the past. So that was the like, drunk Gary Thorne, right? Yeah, the drunk Gary Thorne. So I, I was actually thinking about this, and this is something that the show has gotten away from, is uh, labeling our drinks. So I do think we need to get into this territory of um, you know labeling certain drinks going forward for, for us. So, Jake, uh, we've got obviously a, uh, a house margarita, not in great shape here, but effectively does the job. So I'm going to call this the Richard Blyer. <laughs> And you can go back to it night after night. You can go back after to, night. It's aged about nine years. So, <laughs> and after you have one, you get a little salty. Absolutely. Oh my goodness! This is this is the content that you put your content. So, uh, if you want to know what we're drinking in terms of beer, check us out on Untapped. You can find me at magn eight six zero six. I'm at Jake E four zero two five. And with that, uh, let's go ahead and get a diagnosis over in the medical wing. Whatever happened to Doc McStuffins? Is it still on the air? No, they cycle out Disney Channel uh, shows pretty, pretty quickly. quickly. Yeah. 
especially when they're African American. <sighs> Too soon. Real. You know, once Obama leaves the White House, <laughs> no. <laughs> and we did, we've did, gone into uh, Baltimore on territory. So Zach Burton uh, was out there this week, though, on half mound, taking some fielding drills, running over to first base. Are you down with the PFP? I am down with the PFP. I thought, you know, overall for you know the state that Zach Burton is in, um, I thought he looked pretty decent out there. I think that uh, I don't know if it'll be in the next week or so, but. I do think that a rehab assignment is around the corner pretty soon for Zach Burton based off of looking at some of the some of the stuff he was doing out there with the videos. Well, it's really important to have a closer when you're 6 and 16. It's really important to get a closer out there that could potentially be trade value um, when you're 6 and 16. You're not wrong. Uh, Mark Trumbo, he's also on his way back through, uh, through rehab assignments. He's going to play some first base. He's going to DH. He might also play the outfield for Bowie, uh, and it looks like his return is imminent. Yeah, it looks like, you know, go through those first three games, see what happens, but it looks like he might be back this weekend. Um, and certainly the Orioles are looking for something of anything to click and uh, change the uh, offensive misfortunes. Uh, Kobe Rasmus is also out there kind of rehabbing right oh, now. Crap. Um, starting to swing again. He certainly is not on rehab assignment, so it looks like it's a further away. Uh, Jake, uh, you ready to see the Colby Rasmus experiment begin again? No. Okay. Nope. 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 Well, in good news, Jonathan Scope though was out there today, running, throwing, uh, but no timeline for his return. Um, Jake, I believe on last week's episode you mentioned that this might be a pothole situation. I take it all back. Okay, I was wrong. Yeah, that was that was dumb. That was really dumb. Well, it came out of my mouth. It's true. Trey Mancini uh, has been out for the past few days, uh, but avoided looks like a major injury. Um, to his knee um buck said that he might be available monday night but it looks like trey's going to get back into the lineup potentially on tuesday night which is a welcome sign yeah that did not look good when it happened Oof. and uh also chris davis has been battling a little bit of some illnesses going around apparently the flu has been going around um so i guess chris is feeling the same way that we do every single time we watch him every night sick to our stomachs yep yeah here's the thing when the season started uh before the sucks began I think I, I said something to the effect of, well, you know, the Orioles are as healthy as they could hope to be and are therefore excuseless for, you know, bad things happening. Now that they are uh, what they are, it seems like the medical wing is full, but I'm not viewing any of those injuries as an excuse for this kind of performance. Yes, not having Jonathan Scope certainly hurts. And yes, you'd prefer to have uh, Zach Britton, but they're not doing poorly because of the contents of the medical wing. I hear what you're saying, and you're absolutely right. There is a, a multitude of players that um, are, you know, currently sucking is the best way to describe it. But as much as we like to berate on a Mark Trumbo, you can't tell me that Mark Trumbo is not better than Anthony Santander. I think coming into the season— we, In the field? <laughs> you know what? I, coming back to Anthony Santander, I don't want to berate on him too much, but he, he hasn't shown much in the field as well. So— you know, I, I think it's fine that they're going to basically see this through this exercise through from the rule five. But I think we came into the season saying, well, Anthony Santander may be able to show something that we were not expecting. And he's shown absolutely nothing. He is who we thought he, he was. He is exactly who we thought he was. And he is a typical rule five outfielder, just like everyone expected. So, you know, I, I understand what you're saying. I don't think Mark Trumbo is going to be the savior. But it can't hurt to basically flip-flop roles and basically put Trumbo in there to see what happens. Sure. Oh, but <sighs> you just had to say nice things about Mark Trumbo. I had to say— And it hurt you. I had, it does hurt me to say that about Mark Trumbo. But I do think you look at Mark Trumbo, you look at Jonathan Scope, and you look at Zach Burton, you're probably looking at least uh, maybe two to three war there that is missing from this team out of a team that was only forecasted to have, I think it was like 23 or 24 war. That's that's a good good loss of talent is the best way to describe it. Scotty, don't worry about it. They're getting all their losses out of the way early. That's that's a po positive way to look at it. Uh, another thing that's positive is Twitter. So let's go to 280 characters less for this week on the Twitters. Scotty, I am super excited about something that you have started, and I can't wait to see where this goes. Sure. Tell me about the Orioles Twitter power ranking. So... Uh, Berlin needs something. It needs something to shake it up. I think they need a better team. Out of this Doltrums. No, that's not going to happen, okay? So we here at Bird's Eye View are here to, you know, shake the barrel and see if something can come out of some meaningful value. Oh, who am I kidding? This is absolutely ridiculous nonsense, but, you know, we're going to do it nonetheless. And, uh, you know, the rules are made up and the points don't matter. And what should we judge on in terms of 
um, the Orioles Twitter's verse. Um, we're not going to listen to you, really. We're just curious on what you think, because ultimately, I'm just going to drink a bunch of beer or liquor right beforehand and just pick a bunch of random names out of the hat. So let us know. Uh, you send us your nominations all week or maybe just, you know, all at the end and let us know on Monday. On Monday evenings, uh, late afternoon, uh, before we, we start up the show, Scott Magnus will let you know who the top five Orioles tweeps are for the week. Scott, I'm super excited about this. Very, think, very excited. I think this has uh, a lot of, of possibility to be nondescript and somewhat interesting. Well, that's what the Orioles are all about. So, Jake, if we're going to go full Dark Ages... And we are. We might as well have some familiar faces to look at. This tweet comes from Amber Theo Harris, at Amber Theo Harris. Just like riding a bike, what do you think? Hashtag DMV, should I make a comeback? At Mass and Orioles, at Mass and Nationals. Hashtag WSH versus LED. Don't know what that means, but... Jake, how much would you love to see Amber Theo Harris... Once again, on the sidelines, broadcasting for Masson. A lot. A lot. I would like to see Amber Theo Harris in any role on Masson outside some of the talent we have. I, I, I think that she would probably be an improvement over, uh, you know, Jim Hunter. She certainly would be an improvement over uh, Rick Dempsey or, or uh, anybody else that's not Tom Davis in a postgame show. Uh, no, she was certainly a talent that we would like to, to see back. Do you think there is any chance in the world that Amber Theo Harris would ever come back and no. look at Matt Masson? <laughs> no. Dang it, Jake. Just tell me it's going to happen, okay? Scott, let it go. All right, next tweet is uh, from Luke Jones, who tweets at Baltimore Luke. The hashtag Orioles got off to a 22 and 10 start last season. Since then, they've gone 58 and 89. Ooh. Scott, is that good? That seems bad. But Jake, let me ask you this. When did it really get bad is my question. This tweet comes from Matt Kremenitzer, number one on the Orioles Twitter poll. Um Matt writes as follows. Since Mark Trumbo got upset and the Orioles stopped their post-game pie ritual on September 3rd, the Orioles are 11 and 36. That seems pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. 11 and 36. That's no fun. That you might no fun. say that is no fun. So as according to him, mission accomplished. All right, Scott, this next one comes from Dan Zimborski, who tweets at D Zimborski at five and 13, just to get to 85 wins at five and 13. Ah, the ah, good old days. Ah, the good old days. At five and 13, just to get to 85 wins, the O's have to play at a seasonal 90 win pace for the remaining 144 games. It could happen. Seems doable. Yeah, it seems doable. seems doable. And in these difficult times, it's important to realize the parenting is tough. And Jake, I believe you had a similar issue with this um, this past week as well. But this comes from your uh, your sister husband, Matt Taylor. Matt, I don't know what that means either. <laughs> Just roll with it. Uh, and it's at Roar from 34. It's the Margarita Tar thing, okay? Mm -hmm. um, I put my daughter in her oral shirt this morning. Now I feel like I owe her an apology. Matt, Matt, you don't owe her an apology for putting her in an oral shirt. You owe her an apology for being her father. <laughs> I will say... So I tweeted out and got quite a stern talking to. You got Orioles a Twitter. stern talking to of I, shame on you, sir. I tweeted out that I was you know, the worst part of this Orioles experience was that I have a son who's seven and, you know, that's prime falling in love with baseball territory. And I'm afraid that this will uh, endanger his ability to fall in love with baseball. Scar him. As it were. Right, yeah. But a lot of people uh, came out and said, no, that's crap. The, it doesn't matter if the team is good or bad. All that matters is the time that you and he spend together at the baseball. Just take him out to the ballpark and he'll fall in love with it, no problem. Um, that's so, what people said about listening to the Beatles with you, too. And it just hasn't worked out. So It was nice that so many people came out to say you know, positive things about something they knew was going to be terrible and awful. I was... Uh, I was I was kind of excited about that. So well done, Orioles Twitter, for making me look and feel bad. Yeah, good good job, good job out there. Um, well, Jake, it's been a dark season so far and a dark week. Why don't we go ahead and um, trot slowly around the bases and try to figure out how we descended into this darkness that is Birdland. All right, Jake, as we sit here on Monday evening with the Orioles down 2-1 to one and hosting a 
impeccable record of six and 16, one has to look at it and say, how the heck did we get into the situation that we were? So we've been kind of discussing and beating around the bush in terms of how bad things had been. But I think we kept on preaching small sample size, small sample size, small sample size. I feel like by the time you get to April, we've had a little bit of enough of a small sample size and we can kind of look back at the stats and say, yeah, some people are just really poor at their job right now. So, Jake, let's begin with where everyone seems to be harping right now. And it's got to be, at first base, the team's offense. And it's appropriate because the Orioles have a, had a hard time getting to first base so far this season. <laughs> um, so the Orioles' offense has been absolutely putrid. They posted a two fifteen batting average, a two eighty four on base percentage, a six forty three OPS, and a 76 weighted runs created plus, good for 27th in Major League Baseball. And, you, you know, you look at the numbers in previous seasons, and the Orioles are posting, you know, the worst offensive performance they've had um, since, you know, the dark ages, basically. And I'm looking at the numbers and, you know, I'm looking at things that stand out to me. And the one thing that stands out to me is that K rate is up again. Um, and on average, it's been anywhere between 21 to 23%, with 23% being the top last year. And right now we're at 26.9% for the entire team, which is Davis-like is the best way to describe it. But the other thing that is is interesting to me, um, I think that it might be the bigger story, is um, is the hard contact reduction and also the power reduction. Um, in previous seasons, the Orioles have had an ISO, which is isolated power, of anywhere between 166 to 188, and 188 being in 2016 when they absolutely crushed the ball from a home run standpoint. And this year so far, that 144 seems a little low. That doesn't sound good at all. No, and... The other thing is Fangrass has a metric out there um, that they actually look at soft contact versus medium contact versus hard contact. And the hard contact is down this year uh, from 33.6% last year down to 29.6%. So some other things that interest me too was the home run to fly ball ratio has gone down from 15.2% this past year to 11% this year. So it certainly seems like the Baltimore Orioles are not hitting for the pop that they have in previous years. And um, they're not getting the home run performance that we were expecting. I mean, this was a team that we came into the beginning of the season and we said um, they are projected to have the second most home runs in Major League Baseball, potentially big, break the Major League Baseball record, um, along with the New York Yankees, who are equally kind of struggling also with the home run ball lately, too. Um, not to the degree that the Orioles are. Um, but what do you think the reasoning is behind this whole aspect why the Orioles are not really hitting homers anymore to the degree that we're, we were wanting to see them. I have no idea. And and the thing is, you can argue, well, we've played some good teams along the way. Okay. But that, that usually rounds itself out. But there have been plenty of games this season where the pitching, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit, has actually held their own, and the offense has been out to lunch. Oh, sure. you know, it just hasn't been there. Uh, you know, I wonder if everybody's pressing because everybody sucks at the same time mm -hmm. you know is it a, is it a collective funk because the the pressure is mounting with every loss i don't think so i mean that that's one of those you know that's one of those armchair uh, uh psychiatrist things I, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that this is a team that people know what to expect from and you're starting to see them pitch them intelligently sure you know you look at a guy like chris davis and the the contact has just been ridiculously weak absolutely but look at where they're pitching chris davis yeah you know they're not continuing to bust him inside the way they they have which has allowed him to cheat on the fastball right he's now having to try to make a decision and waiting that extra fraction of a second has completely sapped him it's it's been a different player day and night um and I don't know that that's necessarily true of Adam Jones and, well, everybody who's not named Manny Machado. But you're right. Weak content, contact is the name of the game right now. I, I wonder this, Scott. Do you think that this is a trend throughout baseball and we're just noticing it in the extreme with the Orioles? Meaning, do you think that it's something uh, that the trend is, is you know, favoring the pitching? Or is it just that the Orioles suck? Um, You know, I— I don't think it's a trend completely through baseball, although there is the big story right now where it may be the first time that um, in one month there's more strikeouts than hits. Um, I think that's an interesting story to look at. But I also look at the aspect, and I don't want to blame this, but I think we've seen a significant decrease in offense um, across the board also due to there's been some really weird weather days. I mean, mm -hmm. 
And as much as we don't want to play up the aspect of, well, the weather's not that big of a deal, it can be a huge deal to fly ball hitters. I mean, you could be potentially knocking down 10 to 20 feet of a fly ball. Um, and we've talked about this before when the Orioles were going into October of how well does a home run hitting team do going into October when the nights get a little bit chillier and there's more of that wind up in the air. And again, that's that, that's always kind of a question mark in my head is, are the Orioles really built to be a cold weather team? But I don't think it's as simplistic as that. I mean, at the end of the day, as Buck has pointed out before, both teams are playing in cold weather. You can't just blame that. But I do wonder if the Orioles roster construction really it inhibits their ability to really strive um, to basically hit multi-home run games. Um, certainly hasn't hurt Manny Machado, but it has, I think, maybe hurt some other players. Well, Manny Machado is playing for a contract. <laughs> yeah, about that. How how much do you think Manny Machado sits through these games and is like, I cannot wait to get out of here you know what i don't think he's thinking that i I think it's more of a situation of he's going up there and just trying to individually perform and whatever happens around him happens around him um here's an interesting thing that i was looking at earlier today though was i was looking at this aspect in terms of um the balls that the Orioles have hit so far and i wanted to see uh, on this basis where do the orioles line up in terms of xwoa and i really think xwoa was a really interesting stat and it's a stat we actually brought up last week in fantasy boss but it basically looks at Exit velocity and launch angle, and then attributes walks and strikeouts and basically applies a WOBA to the given situation to determine how well um, the team is doing on a stat cast metric. Um, this is something that was looked at last year when Manny Machado did had a really poor first half of the season, um, but his stat cast numbers looked absolutely you know great. So the question was, you know, eventually that's going to catch up and Manny Machado is going to have a breakout season. Um, certainly we saw that in the second half of the season with Manny Machado. We've certainly seen that so far the first half of the Manny Machado. It's not like Manny Machado all of a sudden lost his luster. And I'm looking at the numbers from previous seasons and we have to take this with a grain of salt because StatCast was still coming online, uh, for some seasons, but I'm looking at 2015. He had, they had a 310, uh, ex-WOBA at the time, um, for their ex-WOBA for the, for their WOBA for the given season. Um, it was 315. So that aligns pretty well. Uh, for 2016, it was a 330 X Woba. For 2016, it was a 326 X Woba. That seems to align pretty well. Uh, 2017, 324 X Woba. Um, Woba was 318. Again, seems to line up pretty well. And so far for the 2018 season, uh, the Orioles have a X Woba of 314 and a Woba of 285 Oof. as an entire team. I don't want to blame it just on bad luck and bad weather but when i see that much of a discrepancy for an entire team a part of me says something doesn't feel right here and i look at the babbit numbers at 273 and i say to myself yeah the strikeouts are high and they need to get that better under control but i do feel like to a certain regard the exit velocity and launch angle that they're putting out there for the entire team is not that terrible here, let me ask you this about strikeouts. Sure. So we lived through a short round of the uh, Colby Rasmus experience. Yeah. And Chris Davis was in a particularly wild funk, which he'll go through from time to time, right? Is it possible that in the first week or so of the season, we were abnormally high in strikeouts in a way that just, you know, those ebbs and flows happen in the terms of the season, but it was all we had for stats for a while? Do you think that the strikeout rate could be inflated? I I think it could be slightly inflated, although when I look at that 26.9% number, I don't think it's that abnormal. I mean, we're we're talking about, you know, 26.9 times, you know, the 27 I think that comes out to be a pretty typical ball game for the Baltimore Orioles. It could be a little less. It could be a little more. 26 strikeouts a game. Pretty pretty standard for 26.9% <laughs> strikeouts for the game. But I think that if you were to come into a baseball game and you heard, oh, the only, Orioles only struck out six times in the game, you'd be like, what happened? Did the game get called due to rain? <laughs> I, I, I think we look at this and say, you know, the numbers kind of match up with the eye here. So, yes, there may be some offsetting balances in terms of Davis and or Colby Rasmus, but like another offender that is currently on the DL, Jonathan Scope was not very good at the beginning of the season, um, had some really long, big struggles, and also had a K rate that was equal to Davis almost. Um, so let's not let Jonathan Scope off the hook and just say, oh, well, before the injury, he was doing great. You know, a lot of Orioles have been struggling with the K rate, um, including Chris Davis. You're bumming me out. Yeah. With all this offense talk. Yeah. Can we talk about something else? Come on, let's pep it up a little bit. Uh, we, we can talk a little bit more about some other things. Um, 
let's talk let's go to second base and let's talk about the pitching and i'm looking at the starting pitching in particular and it, it certainly looks like the pitching hasn't improved dramatically so i'm looking at the numbers in terms of fip and xbip and the orioles right now um rank 27th in fip and 22nd in xfip per major league baseball um and, and there's a few things that i think are interesting here you look at the orioles rotation and they're throwing a 348 babbit and I look at that breakdown of saying, okay, how do they have a 348 BABIP? And I look at Tillman, he's throwing a 385 BABIP, and I'm like, well, that actually could make sense because this is the Abaldo Jimenez scenario of, well, the BABIP's high, but he's throwing the ball right down the middle of the plate. So, you- Ex- Except when he's throwing it in the other batter's box. Right. <laughs> but the one that doesn't make sense to me is Alex Cobb, who has been abysmal um, since coming onto the Orioles um, and is posting a 515 BABIP. And I'm sorry, it just doesn't make any sense. It's just an extreme outlier, and it tells me that something is going on and Alex Cobb eventually is going to get it together and that the performances that we have seen from Alex Cobb to date are not going to reflect what we're going to see for the rest of the season. I think most people realize that, but I think it's important to take a look at that and say, maybe the starting pitching isn't as bad as we're trying to make it out to be. Look, here's the thing, and I'm sorry, I'm going to go back to the eye test. I don't think the starting pitching has been as bad of late. As we as we were afraid they were going to be. Besides Chris Tillman. Besides Chris Tillman. But here's the thing. Chris Tillman, in his most recent abysmal start, uh, gave up four runs over six innings. Yeah, so he posted a 60 RA. It was hideous. Yeah. It was, it was not fun to watch. Right. But he gave up four runs over six innings, and that's a recoverable game. Sure. That's, that's a, a game that the Orioles aren't out of. Sure. If the, if the offense is popping, then theoretically, that's a game that you potentially could come back and basically say, hey, we have a chance here. The Orioles score three runs somewhat early, and you're down 4-3 in the sixth inning or the seventh inning. You feel like you're still in the game. And that's something that I would like to see from the fifth starter, to keep the ball game somewhat close sure. until the bullpen can come in. Who was he pitching against that night? It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. My point is... I think that that the starting rotation has been better than we're giving credit for. I, I think that Alex Cobb he's got something going on. Not clearly not ready to come up or whatever. I don't think he's going to be as bad as he has been. I don't know what to expect from him, but I don't expect this. Right? I think that Kashner has had good starts. Bundy, of course, has been awesome. Kevin Gosman's the wild card. Sure. Right. You don't know what you're going to get from him. And he's think, a box of chocolate. And I think we just have to admit at this point. And Kevin Gossman is going to be exactly that, which is going to be this this box of chocolates, and we don't know what we're going to get with him. Sometimes it's going to be really good. Sometimes it's going to be really bad. He's going to be a prototypical, I hate to say it, number three or number four starter going forward. Isn't that, though, what we said last year about Dylan Bunny? Like, hey, we've got to face it. He's just what he is, and he's not getting any better than this. Yeah. But I think in this general case, I think we can call it on Kevin Gossman. All right. I hate to say it. But unless Kevin Gossman is traded to the Cubs, I think we can basically say Kevin Gossman is who we are, who we think. We are. And it's not bad. It's just a little disappointing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That having been said, I think that that rotation, again, assuming that Alex Cobb gets somewhat together and assuming that Chris Tillman can continue to swerve along the line of just barely not a disaster, you know, it might be okay. So you're willing to not launch Chris Tillman into the sun at this point? Oh, I'm not there yet. Okay. I'm not there yet. He has not gone full Wade Miley. Uh, but the margins are very thin, right? I mean, we we have nothing behind Chris Tillman. You know, behind Chris Tillman is, I guess, giving Wright another shot or the Miguel Castro experience. After Chris Tillman, we are in the depths of nowhere. I guess my question is, at what point do you just say the team is 6-16? Six and 16? Chris Tillman is not going to do it for you. Why don't you just go and just try a Miguel Castro or David Hess or something and basically say, let's see what we can make out of this. Yeah. I think at that point you need to ask yourself, what are you, what are you trying to achieve? What are you trying to achieve? And if it's what, let's see what we have for next year. Okay. That's fine. But if it's, let's see if we can cobble together something to get us through to maybe be competitive later. I don't think you can afford that, particularly when your back's already 10 games under 500 against the wall. I understand what you're saying about the 10 games under 500. The other argument I would make is we've been in this situation before where we didn't really know who our fifth starter was. Mm -hmm. And the Orioles have banded together and basically said, let's just throw a bunch of guys out there and see what happens. And the one thing the Orioles did not do a very good job of this past offseason 
was going out and getting a lot of depth for AA and AAA, which was a surprise. The Orioles have done an amazing job with that in the past of basically saying, let's go get depth, let's go get depth, let's go get depth, and making a lot of signings that you're just like, that guy probably won't play a role, but I could see why they wanted to spend, you know, a half a million dollars on that. Even going back to the, you know, the aspects of, you know, the Orioles going on saying, let's try to do a reclamation project on, who was the one pitcher from New York? Um, uh, I'm forgetting what his name is. But it, it was just, they've done reclamation projects before. I don't understand why the Orioles didn't go out and say, you know, let's bring Bartolo Colon in, or let's go ahead and let's bring in R.A. Dickey and just see what happens. Um, I'm not saying that's a great move. Even it was the aspect of like, you know what? We don't think a bottle is going to work out. Let's go ahead and bring a bottle back on a minor league deal and just see what happens. Instead, they went in with it and said, well, if this doesn't work out, we've got Mike Wright, David Hess, Miguel Castro, which are uninspiring choices, and Abel Jimenez is equally uninspiring. But if he does manage to get together on a minor league deal, why wouldn't you just say, oh, this looks like a better option than Chris Tillman? I, I think if I'm, if I'm picking up what you're laying down, it feels like in years past we've had a lot of crappy pitchers. And now we don't even just have a lot of crappy pitchers. Correct. Okay. So the one thing that Dan Duquette has done very well um, since he came with the Orioles is picking up a lot of scrap piles. Sure. And a lot of times that scrap piles, you know, don't work at all. And it's an absolute disaster. But again, what we've talked about for the Orioles is they have been able to look at it and say, this is not working very well. We need to release this pitcher or designate him for assignment and bring up somebody else to see if they can make it work. And if they can't make it work, then that person's going to get designated for assignment and it feels like we're left here with Chris Tillman saying, we have no other options. And I feel like that's an issue for the Baltimore Orioles. And that's something that it was a strength for them in the past. And I really feel like, to a certain regard, that's something they didn't do this offseason. And looking back at it now, that may be a major, major issue for a small market team to do. And maybe that's because Dan Duquette just basically said there wasn't anybody out there. Or maybe Dan Duquette just said, meh. It's not really worth my effort to come ahead and do this, basically. So I don't know. Again, we look at those peripheral aspects from the Baltimore Orioles, and we've looked at it from 2012. And most of the time, it's not just the Manny Machados or the Jonathan Scopes. It's those players that form the fringes, such as the Delman Youngs or the Miguel Gonzalez's that you pick up that really make the team into a wild card contender and not just a, yeah, they're just a bunch of bad players. Going back to the margin of error, I, I think there's the every every possibility that this season Kevin Gosman can pitch his way out of this. Right here on Monday night, he's throwing eight innings of two two run baseball. Right, he's he's got it within him. He can be a decent, if not a good pitcher, particularly for for stretches. Oh sure. Right? I mean, we looked at second half of last season. It right. was you know he was one of the top fifteen pitchers in all of Major League Baseball. But then he goes through stretches where he's one of the worst pitchers in right. Major League Baseball. Right. But the, but the question I have though. I don't see a path forward where Tillman can pitch his way out of this. Like he is just teetering on disaster and hoping he survives. There's nothing that Tillman is doing right now that is confusing batters. He's not, you know, doing anything that is going up there besides just throwing the ball across the plate occasionally and saying, gosh, I hope this works. And eventually the Orioles are going to have to call it. And I know what you said about the last game, which was like, well, he won six innings and threw four. We gave up only four runs, but that's still a six ERA like yeah if he at the end of the season has a six or ERA we actually probably would be happy with Chris Tillman but we wouldn't accept a six ERA if Wade Miley had a six ERA you'd say we should be releasing it a part of it is we're that having that loyalty to Chris Tillman because he's been with the Orioles for so long and we say we want to make it work for him but if Chris Tillman comes out again and has another bad appearance he's got to go oh absolutely I, th- I think the real horrible part Scott is that we look at a six inning four run appearance and be and like that's not that bad that's the high water mark yeah right that's the best we can hope for right and that's not acceptable you're right yeah wow that was even better like I thought that the I thought that the uh the batting discussion made me feel bad but uh starting pitching yeah. that also made me feel bad so bullpen at third base has been pretty uninspiring so far. So just kind of going through the numbers, um, Richard Blyer has been the bright spot. It's, Absolutely. It's best, is the best way to describe it. Um, he has posted um, an amazing .3 F4 already in the season, 60.9% ground ball rate, uh, a 93.3% left on base percentage, which is unheard of. 
Um, but really just coming out there and really making those multi-inning relief appearances, which really has saved the club in many instances. Um, but there's a lot of negatives here. I mean, he's thrown all the innings, all of them. Yeah. Brad Brock has been absolutely horrible so far this season. Um, he's got a 5.19 ERA, a 4.66 FIP, and a 4.57 uh, XFIP. He has turned into the individual that Keith Law called him out to be. Um, Darren O'Day has been equally atrocious. 4.15 ERA, 5.35 FIP, uh, 3.93 XFIP. And even Michael Givens, 5.91 ERA, 4.28 FIP, and a 4.3 XFIP. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. Are we not giving Michael Givens a pass for that amazing slide tackle of home plate? We are. That was a great performance. <laughs> but that's, that's all I have to go on. <laughs> regardless, we looking at the relief pitchers, none of the relief pitchers besides the Richard Blyer has actually shown any credence. And the bigger aspect is there's been several moments of the game where it's felt like um, the big three in terms of Givens, O'Day, and Brock have basically either given up the lead and or um, basically said, yeah, we're just going to go ahead and put this game out of reach so that the team couldn't come back. And not to say that the team would have come back, but it basically was burying the hatchet. Yeah, and the thing is, is that we talked about earlier, you know, bringing uh, Zach Britton back, but watching Brad Brock crap the bed in the sixth or the seventh inning instead of the ninth is not going to improve things. Sure. Right? What is the deal with Brad Brock? I mean, at what has actually happened to him? Is the book out? Has he, have his skills diminished? You know, has he just simply aged out of uh, the dominant closer or uh, reliever that he was? Is it a mechanical issue? What's the issue at hand? I, I honestly do think that it's just scouting. I think the book is out at this point, and I think it's just a scouting aspect. I think the bigger concern I have is Darren O'Day. And Darren O'Day, I personally like win probability at as a really good stat mm-hmm. for for relief pitchers. And Darren O'Day has posted a negative 0.61 win probability added so far in the season. Compare that to a Nestor Cortez, who had a negative 0.33 win probability added so far for the season. So Darren O'Day is actually doing worse in terms of helping out the team than a Nestor Cortez is. I'm looking at Darren O'Day, and I thought at the very beginning of the season he was absolutely filthy. Um, and now I'm looking at him, and I'm looking at the movement on the ball when it's coming in, and I feel like it's not as dynamic as it has been in the past. I feel like it's kind of floating up there, and it's not being as deceptive. And I feel like batters are now not so much going through the ball anymore, but they're just kind of waiting for it to kind of loft itself in there, almost like a hanging knuckleball right in the middle of the plate. I don't know if you get that same impression, but I certainly have not been as impressed with Darren O'Day's movement in terms of his pitches. I love me some Darren O'Day. He's a he's a great guy. He's he's been a good pitcher. He's been a big part of winning clubs in Baltimore. Uh, but I think that the Orioles gambled and they made the wrong call. Right? They were going to have to pay one of their relievers a lot of money. They let Andrew Miller walk, right? Mm-hmm. Because they didn't think that they could they could get him back or yep. get him back and. Uh, anybody else they wanted to get back and they spent the money on O'Day instead at the time I was super glad he was back you know yep. like I said he's fun to root for and I was, it was the also the aspect of just like you said with Andrew Miller it was the Orioles decided not to make the move for Andrew Miller the year beforehand they came back and said we need Darren O'Day everyone's like yes they they realized how important relief pitchers are so we're going to go ahead and invest in Darren O'Day and go from there and we're, I, we're looking th- at Andrew Miller come onto the screen right now with a zero ERA um, in 9.1 innings pitched, opponent's average at 156. Uh, and it just screams. You read that as well as Mike Bordick does. I, I, I'm an excellent Masson reader, okay? <laughs> if only I could play third base. I, I just think they picked wrong, right? Yeah. They, they could have gone one way or the other. They went with O'Day, and they picked wrong. Right, and they went with someone that they had the you know experience with. They went with somebody that you know had the relationship in the clubhouse. But it, it it's frustrating um, but I do remember articles being written as soon as the Orioles signed O'Day, and they said, you know, O'Day may be the most sure thing aspect in terms of a pitcher due to, again, the mechanics. I mean, Miller had a lot of concerns coming into a free agency, too, which is, can his arm actually hold up for a four-year deal? And certainly, O'Day certainly looked like he could hold up from a physical and a mechanic standpoint. But like I said, right now, just looking at the mechanics and looking at, not the velocity, but the movement of the ball— Something's up with O'Day, and I can't figure out. I mean, I don't know if anybody could figure out what's going up with O'Day with that delivery, but I just, he doesn't look like the same dominant Darren O'Day in terms of pitch movement, like I saw. Maybe Jose Batista needs to come back into the league. 
We've seen a lot of <laughs> we've seen a lot of movement in the bullpen. Sure. You you and I said, you know, hey, we're not going to have the kind of flexibility from a roster standpoint that we've had in the past. And instead, I feel like we've seen a lot of moves because the bullpen was burning itself out. Um, you know, we've seen Hess, we've t- seen Tanner Scott. Um, you know, thank God Nestor Cortez is gone. We've seen uh, Jimmy Yakovlevs. Donnie Hart has pitched for the Orioles this year. So I feel like we may see more of that, right? The guys that that are able to go down will. And we've seen Buck Showalter not hesitate to go with a short bench to be able to bring up uh, additional help in the bullpen. I think that there's a better case to be made for more talent in the Orioles system as far as the bullpen is concerned, be it, you know, failing starters or, you know, starters in the minor leagues that just aren't ready to hack it as starters in the league yet. Um, But this is an area where, say what you will about Dan Duquette, he can do this, right? He can bring in guys that can help from the bullpen. It's just that you have to be able to get leads in order for the bullpen to matter. Sure. I think the other big thing is that we looked at was, you know, coming into the season and having two row five picks on in the bullpen was just not going to allow that given flexibility. It was really a question of who's the first one that's going to have to go down. And Nestor Cortez was that individual that basically had to be released in order to give that roster flexibility. So completely great it, completely understand it. Um, you know, I, I actually don't think the bullpen is in as bad of shape as we forecasted. Yes, there's been a few of those games where we just want to really rip our hair out. But if you look at the win probability for the entire bullpen, they're right there in the middle of the league. I think this is a, a difference, though, where we came into the season saying, this could be a top five bullpen. And as long as we have a top five bullpen, we can basically make it. But we haven't had a top five bullpen really since 2014. Let's be honest. Like, this is maybe a top 10 bullpen at best. But other teams basically have supplanted the Orioles. Zach Burton really needs to come back. Zach Burton really needs to dominate. We saw this, he needs to be Zach Burton. He needs when to be Zach Burton. We saw this last year when Zach Burton went out. It really puts a tax on the rest of the bullpen, and it was one of the reasons why when Zach Burton got injured in December, I said the Orioles need to start trading players away because it's going to put a tax on the bullpen, and there isn't enough arms in the bullpen that actually make it decent. Um, and I even mentioned this during free agency. I was like, what is it so crazy an idea for us to go out and get a relief pitcher? And we said, it's probably better to spend our money elsewhere. But looking back at it now, it's hard to say that we shouldn't have done that. Well, and you say this this bullpen either is or can be a top 10 bullpen, or let's call it mid, you know, top mid-tier. That should be good enough. That should be good enough on a on a pretty good club. It's just the fact that when everything else, but it's but it's not good enough. We we are in the age of the bullpen, and I hate to come back and harp on this ever since the Royals did it. But you look at the top ten bullpens, and almost all the playoff teams are in the top ten. Yeah. Like it, it, there's a reason why this happens, and it's because you have to have a dominant bullpen in order to win those really close games and get those let that leverage index. So. The Orioles need to have a top 10 bullpen if they're going to be able to compete, especially for as abysmal as their starting pitching is. They have to have a top 10 bullpen. If they don't have a top 10 bullpen, it's not happening this season. Yeah. There would be a lot better chance of them being able to survive a top 10 bullpen or a mid-tier bullpen if everything else weren't going wrong at the same time. True, exactly. So let's come to home plate very slowly and gingerly. Um, What are we going to do about this? We are 6-16. and We've got issues across the entire team, basically. What are we going to do? I mean, uh, is there anything that can be salvaged from this abysmal April, or is it time just to call it? Well, I think that the starting pitching has room to improve Okay, by subtraction at the back end okay. and in general improvement in the top end, right? I think that Alex Cobb will be better. I don't know how great he'll be, but he'll be better than what he is now. And I think that Kevin Gosman can be better, right? I think that Dylan Bundy, you know, may drop off a little bit, but I think that his floor has probably raised a little bit. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm pretty thrilled with what we're getting from Kashner. Okay. So I, I think that the, the rotation can be decent-ish, All right? right? Sorry, are you willing to pack it up, though, and just say, it's not going to happen this season, there's no playoffs, and at best you're going for 500? It's hard at 10 games under to see a path forward to the playoffs. Right. It just is. Yeah. Right. I mean, you can right now the Orioles are just losing. They're sure. losing all the time. Like they're in one of their classic dark ages month where they've lost 10 out of the last 12. Sure. Right. Like 
you, you're at the point now where you can't remember the last game the Orioles won. Yeah. You know, and that's not a good place to be. And it's hard to be able to say, oh, yeah, well, they clearly have a chance to, to look. They have a hot May and everything goes great and they're able to bring themselves, you know, five under four under. Sure. Then the season might matter again. But I can't even see the, them getting to the point where they're playing 500 ball, much less having a hot May. Right. So I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but I'm having a hard time seeing that happen. And because I don't expect the bullpen to get much better, because I think that there are only marginal gains to be made with the with the rotation, I really think it's on the backs of the lineup. Sure. And in my opinion is, you know, I watched this week, and I actually had kind of, I understand what happened in Boston, but I actually kind of had high hopes going into this week saying, okay, they're going to go against the Tigers and maybe they'll pull out two out of three and then they'll come against the Indians and hopefully maybe they can, you know, split the series basically and get two out of four because the Indians are a great club. I thought get two out of three, split the series against the Indians, get two out of two and start to get out back on track. Um, and, and getting swept by the Tigers is really <sighs> was kind of a dagger. Basically it reminded me of August past, basically, where when the Orioles got swept by the Diamondbacks, and I said, this is the moment where people are going to look back on and look at this series and say, that's where it ended right there. And I still feel like that could be the case. But here's what I'll say is the Orioles are going into a week with the Rays, and they're going against the series against the Tigers. If the Orioles do not come out of that series um, with at least four wins out of those two series— the season's over. It's as simple as that. How ridiculous is it that it's April 23rd and we're talking about the season being over? I should reiterate this. It could be a situation where the season might not be over from a 500 standpoint, but the season's over from a playoff standpoint. If they do not pull out at least four wins within these next two series, the season's over. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And here's the thing. Like, I don't want to be like a negative Nelly about it. But at the same time, you have to be realistic. It's a, it's a realistic aspect. It comes back to the Dan Zembrowski tweet that we basically talked about earlier. It's eventually you look at it and you say, it's going to be impossible unless the team goes absolutely bonkers. And the team has gone bonkers before in 2012 um, at that end of the season. But you knew something special was going on there. And there's nothing that screams, this is a special team that's going to make it happen. So I, I look at it and I say, they're not quite dead. They're almost dead, but not quite dead. I got better. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like this week is going to basically be um, the test whether or not the Oros are going to potentially still want to um, fight and try to get back to being contention or if this is the end, basically. You know, you mentioned 2012. Yeah. In 2012, we were always waiting for that other foot to drop. Yeah. This season, we're just waiting for something good to happen. Yes. Right? At which point will something good, will there be a sign of hope? Uh, and you're right. It, we were hoping for it in this past two uh, series, and we didn't get it. Yeah. Well, Jake, um, I- I'm glad that we walked through this, this, this sad exercise of uh, Dark Ages futility. Um, let's do this. Let's take a quick break, and let's come back and try to dive deeper into the truth of the matter. Scotty, with the team such as they are, we need a few laughs, right? And we're not going to come up with them ourselves, so we're going to steal. We're going to steal from some of our late night comedy bit favorites. Oh, so I'm not singing tonight? No. Okay, good. <laughs> no, we can't. We can't handle that. People are we already can't have too much darkness. <laughs> and because of that, we're going to dive deep into the bag of tricks. We're going to find things. We're going to find truth or truth. All right, Jake. I've got a few questions here. So, Jake, we reminisced last week about J.J. Hardy. Jake, if you could bring back one former Oriole in their current state, whom and why? Current state? Yes, in their current state. Well, first of all, Jim Palmer may be a a (laughs) leg up in the starting rotation. Uh, Okay, can I I give you two? Okay, you can give me two. Can I cheat? All right. My first answer would probably be Nelson Cruz. Okay. Right? Just because it would be fun. Uh, And second would be Steve Pierce. 
Okay. Because if we're not going to win anyway, I might as well love the players that I have to watch. Yeah. Okay. That's a little cheating, but we'll, we'll allow that. All right. What, what, who would you bring back? JJ Hardy, of course. Um, but I think Brian Roberts actually do pretty well right now at second base. That's just my personal opinion. You have a dizzying intellect, sir. Dizzying intellect, yes. All right. This one came from the Twitters. Okay. Uh, this one came from the Twitters uh, from a brand, uh, Brandon Hazlett, uh, who asked which round number the Orioles would get to first. So, Scott, truth or truth? I'll take truth. Which will the Orioles get to first? 10 wins or 20 losses? Uh, I would hope they're going to get to 10 wins, and I, I, I think they're going to get to 10 wins this season. This season. That wasn't the question. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which will they arrive at first? At 6 oh, and 16, gotcha. will they get to 20 losses first, or will they get to 10 wins first? Uh, I'm going to have to go to 10 wins. I do think they're going to turn it around this week. And then dash your hopes later this next week. I can't even see a clear path forward to 10 wins before 20 losses. <laughs> I'm not feeling good about this team. All right, Jake. Truth or truth? Well, Scott, of course I'm going to go with truth. Uh, Jake, if you had to replace Buck Showalter in the dugout, would you be picking the first base coach or the third base coach to replace him? Oh, wow. Uh, I think I'd have to go with neither. Neither? <laughs> uh, John Russell. No, he's not an option. He, he, he's leaving with Buck because he's just like, nah. All right, I'd go with Kirby. Okay. Uh, just so that we could leave the windmill in place because okay. I think he's a key component to whatever it is that we do here. You know, we could just put Kirby out there and basically be, you're going to be the first base coach and the head coach at the same time. Oh, and the chef. <laughs> Scott, truth or truth? I'll do truth. All right. When it comes to the Dark Ages viewing, which is worse? Is it worse feeling the acute pain, night after night, loss after loss, series after series, or... Is it worse becoming so numb to the losing that you simply shrug and mutter as you turn off Tom Davis and Rick Dempsey? I'm going to go shrug and mutter. Honestly. Yeah. It's hard to say that, but it's very true. Jake, truth or truth? Uh, truth? Uh, Jake, um, what do you think about the Oros doing a UMBC night as opposed to an American University night? Well, I mean, you hit me where I live. I think clearly every organization of every kind should have an American University night. Especially uh, American University football night? Absolutely. Yeah. It's a pillar of this great civilization that we call America. Um, but no, I think it's cool that the Orioles, uh, you know, reached out to UMBC and tried to, you know, get in a little bit on the uh, on the Cinderella story. I think it's cool. cool. Good for them. Yeah. All right, Scott. Truth or truth? Uh, I'm going to go with truth. Here's the question. Okay. What percentage of Orioles fans, what percentage of Orioles fans will completely turn on Manny Machado once he's gone? 100%. 100%? 100%. He will be villain, uh, you know, number one once no, he's gone? No question about it, at least initially. That number will uh, drop down slowly over time, but... During the initial aspect, 100%, no question about it. There is like, no, and I agree with you, there's nothing that he can say. There's nothing that, he can say or do, but it'll be 100%, and then it'll be a slow decrease, like a half-life of a nuclear missile and over time. The, and the tales of, of Manny Machado's just sloth and attitude will grow. I mean, first of all, like, I think there's plenty of that going on. Don't sure. get me wrong. But it'll just be blown way out of proportion. He could stand up, you know, let's say he gets signed to the Cardinals, you know, some team we don't care about, right? By the way, he is going to the Cardinals this year. Guarantee it. <laughs> this year. Right. Yeah. Mark it down, folks. It's April 23rd. I am calling this. He will be on the Cardinals midseason. But let's say he signs anywhere. It doesn't matter. Sure. The, the Diamondbacks. It doesn't matter. He, he signs and, you know, in the press conference, he says, you know what? I love being a Baltimore Oriole. I love my time in Baltimore. The fans were great. Those were some amazing teams led by Buck Showalter. I got to play with Jonathan Scope. I got to play with uh, Adam Jones. I, you know, it was just, it was such a phenomenal experience. It was great for me and my family. And you know what? The Orioles made a really great offer, right? They did everything they could to try to bring me back. I have nothing but respect for that organization. I will always be rooting for them. I'm still going to be connected to the, the community with my sure. charities. It's just that, you know, this team X, you know, the Diamondbacks, whoever, they made a great offer from day one. I'm really excited about what they go, have going on here. Now I'm just excited to go out and play and baseball. you know what the response will be to that? Boo! 
he could he could do <laughs> no wrong and we will turn on him on oh, a no dime. question about it on a dime no question about it all right well with that that's another episode of truth and truth uh let's go ahead and uh find out who uh who won fantasy boss this week Ooh, look at that i love this song have won this week right oh yeah you, you destroyed it like I, I didn't even look it up but i picked manny machado yeah i had to have won you you lit the world on fire jake um you know i, I will admit this much trey mancini did not do bad he actually finished second on the team and uh, the category this week was ex woba which again looks at expected weighted on base average uh but manny machado uh went in fuego um so let's do the math manny machado uh, let's take Trey Mancini. Trey Mancini had a 418 X Woba, which, which is absurd, which is still really good. Uh, Manny Machado had a 709 X Woba this week. Ooh. 709. That's going to look really good on another Wow. I mean, yeah. Wow. Um, so that brings the contest to two to two. Um, and it's all tied up now. Um, wow. Um, so I'm going to pick the category again this week um, because I guess I have to. Um, so I'm going to keep with the same category. Ex-Woba again? Ex-Woba. But we're going to flip it this time. I want to do Ex-Woba for pitchers this week. So who's going to have the best or worst Ex-Woba? Uh, let's go with the lowest Ex-Woba from a pitcher, which will basically reflect on how well a pitcher is actually doing. All right. So which pitcher is going to have the best Ex-Woba? So let me let me thought experiment this out, Scott. Sure. Do you think it's better to go with a pitcher that's going to be able to round down uh, a a bad outing, like going with a starter, or do you think it, it's better to go with a reliever who, in a limited small sample size, can excel? I think you could do a relief pitcher here, and I think it's a situation of that's fine. But if a relief pitcher has one really bad appearance, you're pretty much sunk. Yeah, and we just talked about how great both the. Uh, starters and the relievers have been recently all right i've got two guys in mind okay but i'm i'm gonna ride it sure i'm picking richard blyer awesome dick blyer so richard blyer is a great choice i think uh heavy ground ball right sure really emphasized the aspect of it uh, not to mention too he's been doing really well in terms of just minimizing hard hit balls of course though if you're gonna leave the other man on the board i'm gonna have to go with dylan bundy but i think it's gonna be really interesting this week to see who does better in terms of x is it Dylan Bundy or is it Richard Blyer? And we'll look at next week about statistically for the entire season, who actually has been better from an ex-Woba standpoint, and we'll kind of tease that for next week's show. Um, but let's see which pitcher is better this week, Richard Blyer or Dylan Bundy. Who will own it? And with that, it's time for some good. It's definitely time for some bad. And most appropriately, it was definitely ugly this week in Birdland. right folks it's time for the good the bad and the ugly um so there hasn't been a lot of good this week obviously but dylan bundy was good this week and finally got his one win so he's gonna go in my good category 13.5 k's per nine three walks per nine uh posted a 1.5 era but again got that finally they got that win so dylan bundy is my good for the week go ahead jake take your good for the week all right it's clear it's easy. This one is no contest. Scott, you know who was good this week? The Baltimore Orioles. What? Baltimore Orioles were good this week, Scotty. Oh, my goodness. They have been advertising something new this week. New theme nights at Camden Yards. All right? They have come out with some theme nights to get people out to the ballpark. And, Scott, I'm just going to say this. This is what they need to do. Yep. If they're going to play like minor leaguers, they need to have minor league theme days. 
We already knew about the Star Wars night, but now they have brought out some other stuff. They're going to have a Sandlot movie night in June. They're going to have a Yoga at the Yard uh, event, a Father's Day catch. They've done that in the past. Uh, they've been you know, trying to get this Birdland social thing going again. And they've, they're also going to have an LGBT Pride night at uh, Canyon Yards, which I think is awesome. I do have one small quibble about the the Pride night, however. They're giving out the O's hat. Mm. Give me a smiling bird. Down with the O's. However, uh, they have a nice little devil rays uh, thing going on with the, the Orioles logo. No. In all seriousness, I think that the, the Orioles should be commended. They're not doing as well on the field as we would like, but they're making business decisions that you can at least applaud. Try to put some butts in the seats. Try to give fans something extra to, to to you know get excited about if they can't be excited about whatever's going on in the field. So, in a week where nothing else is going right, at least the organization is not falling all over themselves. Yeah. All right. Bad for this week is going to go to Brad Brock, who uh, came in, pitched two games, two innings pitched, posted a great thirteen point five ERA, eleven point one six FIP, and a seven point seven one xFIP. Brad Brock was all kinds of bad this week. My bad was watching Trey Mancini knee the wall Oof. at full speed. That was awful. That was awful because first I, I I thought he was broken. You know, I Trey Mancini, one of the few Orioles that's actually doing anything at the plate. So of course, why wouldn't we? You know, break a kneecap or something, lose him for a good portion of the season. Uh, luckily, you know, he made an appearance in Monday night's game. Uh, so hopefully he'll he'll be back uh, uh, as soon as possible. But that was scary when it happened. You know, obviously he popped right up. Uh, but when you you saw that it couldn't keep going, you just thought, you know, the worst. Yeah. Um, I, my ugly for the week is actually going to go to Pedro Alvarez, who has been doing amazing so far this season, but posted a really ugly week this week. Um, in eighteen appearances, he had a uh, one four. I'm um, sorry, a one eleven batting average, a one eleven on base percentage, a one eleven slugging percentage. Good for a negative forty eight weighted runs created plus. Not the worst on the team, but certainly not something we wanted to see from um, Pedro Alvarez, especially with a looming Mark Trumbo on the horizon, and also with the rest of the team basically doing pretty poorly. So he's my ugly for the week. Who goes when Trumbo comes back? We didn't we didn't ask that question earlier. Oof. Um. I mean, it's got to be Valencia or, or Alvarez, right? It does have to be Valencia or Alvarez. Unfortunately, Valencia and Alvarez actually have been one of the two of the better um, <laughs> players so far. I don't know. I really don't know. I, I, I think it's going to be Valencia. I think that's a I think that's a mistake. Um, but I think it's Valencia. Maybe it'll be Sardinia's, and Valencia will be uh, our our utility infielder. I mean, none of the other decisions make sense, right? You know, I could actually see Buck pulling that. <laughs> I could see Buck pulling that. Oh, my. All right. My ugly, Scott, goes to the Baltimore Orioles. Wait. They were your good. Yeah. They were until they were ugly. And you know why they were ugly? I'm going to tell you why the Baltimore Orioles are ugly. Because I have never seen such underhanded, deceitful behavior in my entire life. Scott, they have been telling us for weeks now, kids cheer free, kids cheer free, kids cheer free. Oh, sure. Bring your kids into the ballpark for free with one seat that you buy in the upper deck. But Scott, kids cheer free tells me that there's going to be something to cheer for. Kids cheer free. What cheering is going on in the upper deck during a Baltimore Orioles game. Look, you bring us on in here under false pretenses telling my children that they're going to be happy when all you have to feed them is the house margarita of tears? No. Baltimore Orioles, you are ugly. That's the Richard Blyer, by the way. <laughs> Let's not forget. Actually, every time I see the kids cheer free thing <laughs> behind the plate, I just think to myself, like, why would you do that to a child? Yeah. <laughs> why would you do that to more than one child? Cruel and unusual punishment. Oh my goodness! Uh, so uh, yeah, boy, yeah. howdy! It's been it's been an adventure. It's, it's been a week. Like Jake, let's go ahead and uh, let's blow the save and uh, end this end this very long episode.
All right. So I'm going to blow the save. And um, it's a confession, as it were. Are we, are we allowed to do that? Isn't that copyrighted? As long as MLB Advanced Media is not listening. <laughs> um, so, Jake, um, we haven't been going to many baseball games lately. Well, it's a very early part of the season. Uh, so, Jake, we haven't been going to many baseball games lately. Uh-huh. So I think we need to rectify this. So, um, Jake, we skipped out on Easter. Yeah, yeah. We skipped out on this past Sunday. Right, true. Yeah. Um, can we go to a baseball game next Sunday? I think we can go to the baseball game next Sunday. Cool. Um, so we're going to be at the yard next Sunday. Come say hi to us. Come grab us. We'll go get a beer together. We really don't want to watch the field. We don't really want to watch the product on thing. We just want to talk to you, our listeners, and hear the ebbs and woes of the misery and sorrow that is Birdland. So come grab us. Um, we'll post our location when we get in on Sunday. Um, we're looking forward to um, spending a, another awful Dark Ages season with the rest of you. Please don't turn out. Hopefully we can amuse you and entertain you even during the darkness. This is what this podcast actually was started as, is basically trying to entertain folks. Um, we thought this. it was going to be group therapy. Yeah, this is group therapy. So by all means, um, let this you know hour-long podcast a little over an hour this time. Um, be your aspect of you're not alone out there. There's equal frustration, but it's that frustration that helps tie us together. And certainly, let's get together on Sunday, have a beer or two, and just reminisce over the good old days of Baltimore Orioles baseball. And that is our show. Remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback, and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. Why they would be doing that right now, I have no idea. We love meeting new people and talking Orioles baseball with other diehard fans. Email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat, but the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at bird's eye view b-a-l and with that baltimore and beyond i'll bid you all a fond adieu adieu good night baltimore be safe out there and please orioles let's go please would it help if i got out and pushed it might actually austin hayes where have you gone can he pitch he might actually it's a long episode right super long can we just Hop in the DeLorean? We can. Just rewind it to the first few minutes, listen to Back to Future. It's like a big circle. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.